Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have Eric Edmeets here uh, with me. We're in Amsterdam. Welcome so much to my podcast, Eric. Glad to be back. Exactly. It's it's we met twice before, and then Sardinia, and in Stockholm, and now here in uh, Amsterdam. And every time I'm um, meeting you, and I'm seeing you on stage, and I'm seeing you run workshops, and everything you do, I feel all, always as if it is really a gift that you're giving to people. Thank you. So thank you so much, really, for everything that you're doing. Just for those of you who have not heard of Eric before, a very, very short intro is that Eric is an author, serial entrepreneur and international business speaker. He has shared the stage with people like Tony Robbins or Richard Branson and Bill Clinton. And he's also owned businesses in a variety of industries, ranging from mobile computing to Hollywood special effects, where he worked on Hollywood blockbusters like Avatar and movies like Pirates of the Caribbean. You, you've spent so many years launching, buying, selling, turning around businesses in so many countries and you've logged thousands and thousands of hours on stage in, in many countries around the world. You speak about business, health and wellness and, and relationships. And now you're making an extra special, uh, you could say, project or actually movement that is called Speaker Nation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which has been launched exactly right now today here in, in Amsterdam. I'm really uh, happy to be here. So how do how would you explain what is Speaker Nation? What is it and what is it for? Well, if I start with what it's for, you know, one of the greatest gifts that I ever gave myself was overcoming my both my fear and my lack of confidence around communication, uh, whether it's communication with two people at, across the table or a presentation for 20 people or 200 people or more. I really changed my life by overcoming my concerns, by overcoming my nervousness, and, and then also by working and cultivating skills and learning how to engage an audience and, and how to communicate effectively. And, and it changed my life on so many different levels that I've been inspired to help other people do the same thing. When I see people struggling to get their word out or struggling to create the kind of influence they want, I really enjoy helping them break through that. And You know, so I've been doing that for a number of years. Our uh, Speaking Academy program is one of the highest rated personal development type programs on the market. It's very popular. It works really well. And I can only teach 40 people at a time because of the intensity of that program. And, um, you know, a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, you know, sort of challenged me to get the content out there to help more people to, you know, kind of spread the word in a larger way. And so that's kind of what gave birth to the idea of Speaker Nation. So Speaker Nation is a combination of speaking training content delivered digitally and live local clubs where people can go and practice. You know, some people will be familiar with Toastmasters and where Toastmasters is an outstanding place to practice and learn sort of amateur speaking and that sort of stuff. Speaker Nation is another resource for people where they can go and learn more about how to become a professional speaker or how to speak professionally to support their business or raise money for their business or a political campaign. It's, it's designed really to cultivate their career as a speaker and provide a network and environment for them to practice. And how much can it go also into the messaging, I mean, the content of what people are saying? Because sometimes people are not... Maybe they, they want to get better at public speaking in general, but what are they going to use it for? The awareness about what you can do with it. You know, in my, as I've looked at this and as I've helped people over the years, I, 
I've been really clear, like the ability to speak effectively and commune effectively is one of the most influential forces of human behavior on earth. And, and so to me, and this may sound a little, I don't know, grandiose, but it means to me, there's a certain responsibility that comes with teaching it to people. For example, I, I don't screen people to come into my first level speaking academy, but I'm very selective about who comes to level two, because at level two, I'm really teaching the construct of how to create influential talks, how to, how to put together a really powerful talk. And so my clients kind of, you know, I talk about the fact that I, I pre-select. And so this woman comes up to me one day and she's like, I really want to come to your program, but I don't think you're going to let me. And I said, why not? And she says, I, and I won't name the company, but she says, I work for, you know, this, a very large um, tobacco manufacturer. And I said, yeah, you're right. I can't do it. I, I like, it doesn't work for me. And then she stopped and she goes, well, listen, I've just taken a job in the internal department transfer and I've moved over and I'm now, my job is to move people from smoking to smokeless. And I said, all right. And she described it a little bit more to me. And in the end, I, you know, I said, yeah, you can come into the program. So it makes me think all the time, like what kind of topics people can speak about. In my opinion, at Speaker Nation, people will be able to cultivate any variety of topics that they want to speak about, whether it's business, uh, marketing, fundraising, uh, parenting, relationships, political campaigns. I don't really care. My only real requirement is that it doesn't cross the lines into extremist politics and hate speech. I don't want the, anybody from the far right and far left, that kind of stuff. But otherwise, I think it creates a really great environment for people to test content. Like one of the, one of the key things that we've been teaching in our academy for years is you have to understand as a speaker, you may be asked to speak at a conference where your topic is a match for say, you know, half the audience, but the other half, you know, they're not really there for you, they're there for the other speakers. But I believe that it's still your job to appeal to both halves. And so that, you know, at Speaker Nation, I think that's one of the things that we're working on is, to, is helping people figure out how to deliver engaging content, irrespective of the content itself, and then packaging really good content. I'm thinking that it's really a democratic right for all of us to learn this, how to communicate, and also understand the power of communication, not just generally public speaking, but understand what it can do for you in life. And uh, we don't really normally learn this in school. I'll challenge that. I don't think it's a democratic right to learn it or to understand it. It's a democratic right to do it. But there's no requirement on the government to make sure you're good at exercising your rights in democracy. But the fact is, is that those of us who live in democratic or apparently democratic, uh, you know, countries that have some degree of freedom of speech, freedom of speech is an incredibly powerful tool, but only if you're good at it. So the right is to do it. The responsibility is to learn how to do it well. There is a, a quote by Michael Beckwith. Your fear will push you until your vision pulls you. And it's really, really true. And I can feel it myself as well, that the more I get into the vision of what I'm envisioning and what I'm working for, the more I can do things that are completely outside of my comfort yeah. zone. It's really, really powerful. But connecting to that, what is your dream or your vision with everything you do, but in particular now with Speaker Nation? Well, particularly my vision for Speaker Nation is to create a, a situation where people have the ability to continually improve themselves as speakers. What I mean by that is that these days, very often I see speakers, they've been on the road for 10 years speaking, they arrived at a certain skill level and they were done. They were, they've arrived, they're baked, they're, they're, they're finished. And I've just never taken that approach. I'm, I'm always looking for how I can refine, how I can make things better, how I can create a, a better experience for the client, for the audience and so on. And so Speaker Nation, I think, will create a culture of that. 
And then, you know, I also like the idea that for those of us that are on the road, speaking can be quite a lonely sport. You know, you're, you're traveling a lot and how nice would it be to be able to land like here we are in Amsterdam to be able to land here and go, oh, is there a Speaker Nation meeting that I could go to and connect with other local speakers that might have great contacts or agents that are local that can help me launch in this area? You know, really, it's about creating a global network of of speakers that really want to work on bettering themselves and therefore bettering the communities around them. I'm excited about it. And where are you going with uh, one of the other things that you're doing? Wildfield, get wildfit. Where is that going? Well, it's it's going everywhere. I mean, I, at last count, we've had something like 15,000 clients do our initial 90-day coaching program in 130 countries around the world. It's it's that's been a really interesting thing. You know, it's funny um, that quote from Michael. It applies to a whole lot of things. And you know, the idea that your fear will push you until your vision pulls you. The funny thing is that when you're pushing something, it's harder to steer it. Yeah. You know, like when you're being pushed, you kind of like, but when you're being pulled, you can only go in the direction of being pulled. Mm -hmm. And so I think vision is a lot better as a form of motivation than, than fear. And so what happened to me with, with WildFit was that it really started as a hobby business for me. And I really did it as a, as a passion, as a hobby business. And The results we got with clients were so striking that they started telling their friends and the next thing you know we started getting requests for the program and we didn't even have a website and like it's just grown like that it's a business that's happened to me and i feel like really blessed about that because it's really important work you know we're we're we have clients that write to us and tell us that their doctors are saying that we've literally helped them save their own lives you know that uh, we have clients that are constantly writing to us telling us they're now off like you know medications that they thought they would be on for the rest of their lives and that the inflammation they were suffering with is gone, that their food addiction problems are dealt with. Like, if you really want to help people improve their quality of life, the first place to start is with their body. You know, the, there's all these, you know, personal development programs. So we can help you change your beliefs. We can help you fix your values. We can help you learn new skills or new communication. And all that stuff's great. But if you're not getting the body right, none of that stuff really matters. And so I just feel really honored to have come up with the concept of WildFit and to have it pulled because it's pulling and that's really um, gorgeous. We've just, you know, I know you're familiar with Mindvalley, our publisher. Mindvalley is an incredible organization. Uh, when, the, when the founder, one of the co-founders of, of Mindvalley did the WildFit program, it so impacted his life that he then got all his employees to do it. And then they got their clients to do it. And then they took us on as a product and started publishing us. And we've now just entered into a new deal with them that's going to take WildFit much bigger. Like we just tomorrow are launching in Spanish and in Portuguese and then in another month and a half I think we launch in French and maybe Italian and then we have another bunch of languages that, were, that are getting dealt with next year. It's exciting and where I really want that to go is that I believe that our entire food production and food distribution system and food regulation system completely needs overhaul. We are being made sick by an industry driven by profits and not nutrition and it's a problem. And I'm not saying there's any one evil person out there trying to make us sick. I'm just saying that the way the world is set up right now, if you're in a food company, you want to boost your profits. How do you boost your profits? Get people to eat more. How do you get people to eat more? Put addictive substances in it. Reduce the level of nutritional availability. You keep people hungry. It's difficult. And I think the biggest way for us to change that is not to go and write to our local government representative. We should do that too. But honestly, the biggest way for us to fix it is to change people's buying patterns. And sure. so right now, there are 15 plus thousand people. Well, 15,000 people have done our programs. Hundreds of thousands of people have watched our videos, millions. And so we're at a place now where we're having an impact on buying patterns. As we impact buying patterns, then the grocery stores will stop selling the stuff that doesn't sell anymore. And they'll, sell, they'll stock more of the stuff that people are buying. So I, I see that over the next 
10, 15, 20 years uh, having a real impact on food availability, on making sure that people have access to the very best, healthiest uh, solutions possible. Fantastic. What do you think that is the most important thing for any company out there right now to focus on? People, everything's about technology these days. And of course, that's important because, you know, okay, look what Uber did with technology. Look what Airbnb did with technology. Um, you know, I've, I've, in my first company in England, we really made it as valuable as we did through technology. And all that's just really important. But if we forget people, it's a problem. I, you know, speaking of Uber as an example, I think it's been fixed since. But for the longest time, the drivers at Lyft would tell us that Lyft really answered their questions and Lyft paid them a better percentage of the drive and so on. And so, you know, so they all preferred to work for Lyft. That's an important thing. Employees always have a choice. Contractors always have a choice of where to go. So do customers. So to me, people are ultimately the thing that we should be paying attention to from leadership. I mean, it's really crazy. Sometimes a company, I've, I've had companies approach me and say, could you come in and teach like communication skills and values inside a company? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I can do that. Can you make sure that the owner is going to be there? Like, no, no, he's too busy. Well, then no, because I think it's not just the employees and it's not just the customers, it's all of the people. I, I think ultimately that the companies that will make the biggest difference over the next, you know, 10 years are going to be the ones that are focused on people. You know, of course, technology is the biggest thing and you've got to pay attention to that. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you have the best technology in the world and you treat people badly, why bother? Authenticity. Right. Yeah. But um, that's typically what happens when, when I meet people and I particularly watch how they are also relating and dealing and dialoguing with people that they don't have to be nice to. That reveals a lot. And actually, it's the same thing with this. I mean, if, if, if the CEO is saying the perfect things uh, when he or she should, that's one thing. But if they're truly, truly walking the, their talk. I often talk about the business owner kind of being the emotional compass of the business. Like yeah. if the business owner comes in and they're in a bad mood, they can completely steer the ship in the wrong direction, even if nobody knows why they're in a bad mood, because it just creates uncertainty. You know, one of my little principles was leadership is you have no business being in leadership unless you can lead yourself. So if you're at the effect of your emotions, if, if you're the kind of person that emotions can take you over, then probably leadership isn't the best place until that's been mastered. And that, again, it's a focus on people. And what do you think the world needs most at this time? Wow, that's a fascinating question. What does the world need most? Well, there's my smart-ass answer. The world is doing just fine. The world is a big hunk of rock and it's whipping through space and it doesn't care about us. And if we wipe out the biosphere and we cause our own extinction, the world will be just fine. But I know you're talking about our world and, you know, what does our world need, like our civilization, and it needs a lot. I'll give you one. I mean, it needs to stop arguing about climate change. It's a ridiculous argument. The minute they called it global warming, I immediately started saying, you've got to stop calling it that because if you call it that, then people are going to argue about temperatures and they're going to argue about temperature trends and ice flows and all this kind of stuff, especially when in the early 70s, everybody was warning us about global cooling. So why label it? Because what we can agree is that there's too much plastic in the ocean, that there's too much air pollution, that we're pushing animals into an extinction at an alarming rate, that we're burning down forests. I mean, all of that is, you can't debate that. That's happening. And so now in the meantime, if we call it all global warming, now we have to debate that and we have to argue about it. And the political right wants to do one thing and the political left wants to do another. I think we need an overhaul about the way we look at our environment. There's no question about that.
And then I think also we need an overhaul of the way we look at the way we look at the political systems around the world, because, you know, America, in my opinion, and maybe it's not a popular opinion, but I think America really was for a long time the greatest country in the world. Like it really had done a phenomenal job of building a phenomenal economy and phenomenal rights for human beings and all that kind of stuff. And one of the reasons it had done such a great job was it had a really interesting governmental system, but it was now looking at it, it was a startup governmental system. It wasn't a great governmental system for continuing. Now you've got lifelong politicians getting, you know, you've traveled a lot. You, you travel to some countries, I won't name them, but there's corruption on the streets. You know, there are some countries you get pulled over, you know that you're just getting a bribe. But it's like, we think that we move off to America or Canada or Britain or Italy or whatever, and it's like, now there's no corruption. No, the corruption's just not on the street anymore. It's just moved up. And it's moved right up, apparently, to the executive office now. And I think that's something we really, as a people, we really need to consider that. We need to start putting people in office that actually can be trusted. And I don't even know how to do that anymore. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. Is there anything in particular you want to add? Well, on a more positive note, there's a lot going on at the moment. And a lot of it is being fueled by the fact that clicks are valuable. And so what that means is that CNN or Fox or any other news organization around the world are looking for clicks, which means they're constantly looking for stories that will cause clicks, which means that they're going to go for the things that motivate people most. And what motivates people most? Pain and fear. And so what that means is that we have the appearance in our world today that life is incredibly scary and really dangerous. And we have an adrenal system that evolved when things were scary and dangerous. So now we've got the news stimulating us and telling us that everything's really scary and dangerous. And we've got an old instinct DNA system from times when we're dangerous. And so we're living with cortisol and we're living with adrenaline. We're living with fear. And I think that what we have to remind ourselves is that we live in the very best, best, best time in the history of time. We live in the safest times. You, you can walk down any street on almost any major city in the world at any time of night or day and you're relatively safe. We do not wake up in the morning wondering if we're going to be assaulted, wondering if we're going to be robbed or murdered. We, we, most of us get to live in the safest most gorgeous, amazing times ever. Food is ever present. Running water is in most of our homes. Like, let's bear in mind, like, that's new. That idea of running water in your home, that's new. It's a couple hundred years. It's like, what would a pharaoh of Egypt pay for hot and cold running water right into his bedroom, right? Rather than having to have slaves carry it up this, you know, whatever, and cars. And so I think it's so easy to be really pessimistic at the moment. But on the other side, we are living in the best times ever to be alive. The safest, most abundant, best times so far. Thank you so much, Eric. How was it to be on this short third podcast? Oh, it was great. I, it's tough, you know, what they won't know is you and I are sitting here and people are crashing in and making noise and you have to edit that stuff out. And, and then you have to try to make it seem all seamless and flowy. But I got to tell you, I, and I said this to you the first time we had our, our first interview is, I always love to have a sit down and a chat with you. And if we can record it and share it with other people, I think it's always a great thing. So I'm glad, I'm glad we got a third time. Let's make sure that the fourth time, let's get a good hour in and let's talk about some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And maybe in DR. There you go. That sounds like a good time for that. Yeah. You know what? Instead of having like the mild noise of people talking in the background, we could have the soft sound of surf crashing on the beach. How's that sound? Yeah. Actually, that's one part of my vision. Good deal. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric. You're a wonderful person. I told you this before, but I'll tell you it again. Uh, thanks so much for sharing, and uh, you're a great inspiration. To find out more, uh, people can head, of course, to 
ericatmeets.com, getwildfit.com, but also now if they're interested in Speaker Nation, of course. Yeah, anybody who's interested, it doesn't matter if they're a professional speaker or starting off, if they're interested in developing their skills, their network as a speaker, they should go to speakernation.com. We're in launch mode. Uh, go there, get yourself registered and get all the updates and we'll have a hopefully have a chapter opening up near everybody soon. Mm, super. And also everybody will find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com. So remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Acast and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing Eric. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoy it. So thanks for listening and um, until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao, ciao Eric. Ciao, thanks very much.